0: Welcome to Cede Ronas. I'm Yvette, and this is the final Chiquita Sode in our three part Chiquita Sode series. We're two Latinas from working class immigrant families navigating law school and bringing y'all raw, critical analysis of law, current events, and personal politics. Why? Because we want to break down barriers set up by elite institutions and democratize knowledge. On this Chiquita Sode, we again interview professors Margaret Montoya and Professor Zuni Cruz, and we talk about dialogue circles versus talking circles and how both of those practices are rooted in indigenous thought. We talk about listening as either a passive or active activity and the ways in which academia might be transformed if some of the principles of dialogue circles and talking circles were to be incorporated into academia. And so without further ado, we bring you this final Chiquita Sode series. We hope that Cerebonas listeners in the Boston area are able to make it out to La Alianza and the Native American Law Students Association's annual 2018 conference uh, advocating across communities. We hope you enjoy this final interview. Bye. professors Zuni Cruz and Montoya. And in this Chiquita Sode we will be unpacking dialogue circles versus talking circles, the histories of dialogue circles as a practice. Uh, We're very excited to be doing this, especially because this is a practice that is going to be actively incorporated into the La Alianza conference, which seems really amazing. So, professors, if you just want to
1: reintroduce yourself briefly so folks can remember the voice and the name, that'd be great. Hi,
2: this is Christine Zuni-Cruz, professor at UNM School of Law. Hola, queridas. Otra vez
3: les digo que es un placer estar aquí con ustedes. Hi, this is Professor Margaret Montoya once again.
1: Great, thank you. Um, so we can just start off with, you know, you mentioned in the last episode dialogue circles and talking circles. So, you know, what, what are they? Let's start there.
2: Um, well, I mentioned in the last episode that I taught up in uh, the University of Saskatchewan um, in Saskatoon. And I worked with the Native Law Center um, director Like Keith Henderson and putting together a conference that I was responsible to chair, and um, um, he suggested that 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 I conduct the entire conference in uh, talking circle. Um, And of course, I was up in Canada to share with other scholars um, about um, the indigenous legal tradition, and so it, it you know was just a brilliant suggestion, and so. Um, I convened a, a talking um, circle which for the for the conference that I was responsible for putting together um, as a chair um, and invited uh, indigenous people from uh, the United States, uh, Canada, um, Australia um, and Ecuador um, to come to the circle and we had a, actually we convened it over three days um, and talked about um, the indigenous legal tradition and how, you know, we were um, experiencing it, um, you know, in our different uh, territories. Um, so it was really a profound experience uh, for me. Um, and. Um, uh, I've carried the, the idea, the principle of dialogue from the talking circle um, into different academic spaces. I think that as a way of engaging um, engaging individuals' um, topics, um, you know, that dialogue is, is certainly a tool that we need in this day and age for, um, you know, the many things that we need to talk, talk about, as well as in order to talk across, um, you know, our differences. So um, the talking circle, I use that term when I have a circle that is entirely Indigenous, um, Mm -hmm. you know, where where the people in the circle are all Indigenous because um, Indigenous peoples bring an understanding, I believe, to the, the talking circle. Um, of course, we're very diverse, but within each of our different communities, we understand the power of the circle, and we understand um, using the circle and, and, and um, what that means just in terms of the quality of voice, um, the profound um, thinking and speaking and listening that is going to occur, um, you know, it's embedded in many indigenous cultures and communities and it's used in in different ways and so we all have our own sort of ideas and thinking around that but certainly the circle is um, an iconic symbol, um, you know, one embedded with power. So I I choose to use talking circles when I am speaking about circles that I am convening um, where the participants in the circle are um, all indigenous. but I've used begun to use the term dialogue circle for, um, you know, taking it into the classroom, taking it into the academic space mm-hmm. where, um, you know, we want to move away from the talking heads and the panels and a certain way of engaging with knowledge and information. Um, and for re-engaging with, you know, those who are non-academics um, or individuals who have a great deal of wisdom just from their... Living out their lives and um, their experiences and their years of living, even from their youth. Um, so, um, so, so that's the difference. I I began using dialogue circles when I was asked to participate in um, sort of like a, a round um, as we were thinking about how we engage the community. How as academics we engage the community. So um, that was my first um, sort of instance of, of, you know, thinking about what I was doing and, um, you know, decided to put, um, put you know, a, a frame around the use of dialogue um, and the use of the circle in engaging with the community. But it, it since has broadened. I mean, you know, I, I, as I said, I've taken it into the classroom, taken it into these spaces where academics usually, Speak, which is, which are in these conferences, or, or speak and share information among um, among one another. So that's that's my that's how I would differentiate the talking circle from the from the dialogue circle. But the talking circle really, you know, originates or, or its origins are um, from within this uh, oral society, and indigenous peoples are come from oral society. And um, so it's a, a way of speaking um, when you have um, an oral tradition and a relational societies where you know that oral orality is important as well as um, relations and keeping relations within you know within a group strong. Um, but you know from it embedded also is just the idea that people carry um, different kinds of wisdom. Um, people carry um, different kinds of understandings and certainly different ways of thinking and thought about, you know, the same, the same subject um, that, you know, when it's put together collectively can really um, lead to some, some lasting solutions or some lasting outcomes to some difficult challenges. So, um, you know, it's it's, a, it's a, a way of talking. Some people describe it as a way of thinking together. So I'll leave it at that.
3: Last summer, uh, the Law and Society met in Mexico City. The Law and Society is a very large organization of scholars, both from the social sciences and from law. Um, I had lived in Mexico City for three years, and so for me it was an opportunity to go back, um, see friends. And so the group that we put together included uh, Professor Zuni Cruz, a colleague from the medical school, an OBGYN surgeon Mm -hmm. uh, born in Mexico, uh, Brenda Pareda, a um, Colombian Latinx student at Harvard, Marco Castanos and a professor that I met uh, when I was in Lima, Peru um, at which is the Catholic university in Lima. Um, He is Quechua. And so he too brought an urban Indian experience to the circle. And so over um, several months, we exchanged emails. And then when we got to Mexico City, we had a a, a preliminary um, circle where we talked, and then we had dinner together, and then we actually had the formal circle, which was the what we had planned. Mm-hmm. So the the theme of that conversation was preparing law students for delivering services to disfavored communities, but the conversation was as much about our identities, our loss and reclaiming language, the incredible painful story that Professor Antonio Peñajumpa, who was the, the Peruvian professor, told of his family moving um, from the mountains into Lima just because it was economically necessary for them, the decision of their mother to give up the Quechua language in order for them to be able to go through the school system. And that now her son had studied for his PhD in in Europe, He had uh, been at both Oxford and he had been in one of the Belgium schools. Wow. Uh, and was now a professor at PUCP, P- 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 the most prestigious university in Lima. So this was both a story that many of us connected with, right? That many of us understood that journey away from communities and to prestigious universities. Um, I think to a person, we had had that same story. Mm-hmm. Um, that that feeling of having um a break with your family because because of what higher education uh, requires of you um and that the talking circle the preliminary conversations that we had had um the getting to know one another and then sitting knee to knee as equals around that circle i think made for a breakthrough, certainly Professor Peña Humpa's very emotional story, uh, and he told us that he had never used narrative, that in his academic life, he had been taught this objective writing that we yeah. all learn as legal writing, right, as legal discourse, and yet here he was telling this story about his family, and that... The, the importance of that story, the truth that emerged from that circle is that for many law students, they must go through this understanding of who they are, who their families are, and what their journey has been, right? Esa jornada, right? Mm-hmm. Across borders of many kinds, across national borders, language borders, economic borders, facial borders. And that part of becoming whole is finding those narratives for ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Finding a place where we have a talking circle, where we have, if not a talking circle, a dialogue circle, right? More appropriately, a dialogue circle.
1: Can you um, explain a little bit more what a dialogue circle or talking circle looks like in practice and, like, in comparison to traditional you know, panels or traditional conference structures, just so like the audience, so just so folks can kind of picture what it would be like to be a part of a dialogue circle or a talking circle. Yeah, what
2: well, well, um, a dialogue circle is, is intended to create a dialogue amongst the participants. So, you know, that's a contrast to um, your typical academic panel in which you have people, you know, speaking about the paper and not necessarily making any connections among you know the panelists or the topics that they are speaking on. Um, and you know, not seeking to sort of weave all of that talk um, into one you know one thought. Um, and so the dialogue circle um, you know, really is meant to, pose um, a, a question um, to the circle, to the group of, of participants in that circle, um, to allow them to talk um, from every base that they have to speak within themselves. It could, it could be their, their um, you know, their academic thoughts. Um, it could be their heart, you know, their experiences, you know, um, that, they've, that they've had, um, you know, it could be, you know, just, just from every place as opposed from, you know, just your academic hand. Um, and, um, and to then take that question and in sequential rounds, you know, seek to understand one another um, seek to understand the different points that people are making. Seek to understand the different perspectives that people may have. Maybe the different ways of thinking that people bring to the exact same, you know, subject. Um, and then to um, to hear one another and to be able then to think about um, a subject in a very different way than they may have thought about it originally. I think dialogue is just a a tremendous tool. It's necessary for diplomacy, which, you know, means that when you've got people on totally on different sides, with, you know, different um, allegiances, um, that you really want to bring um, different sides to dialogue in order that they can hear one another and at least come up with some understanding, some, some solution to a problem. And so it's much more than just talking. It's much more than just saying, here's all of my knowledge on this subject, you know, and then the next person here's all my knowledge on this separate and different subject that's not even going to have any relationship with what the person before me said or the person after me said. It's a very different frame of um, bringing, um, you know, intellectuals, um, intelligences, um, you know, thinking perspectives together at, at one time among a group of people. And, you know, I've had, um, I've had talking circles or dialogue circles that have ranged in size from 40 in a circle to, um, uh, you know, 10, size, you know. So, so it really is, um, you know, it, it depends on how much time, space, and energy that you want to devote to whatever it is that you're bringing before that group. To consider, um, I think as a as a as a tool for engagement, um, as as lawyers who seek to engage with their community or with their clients, but particularly with the communities that um, the circle, the dialogue circle, is a um, is an important tool to do that to um, to allow lawyers to listen uh, to give to allow the, that community to have voice in a, in a way in which they do not at, at all feel that their voice is um, small, that, that in fact their voice is, is important and their voice is heard, and, um, and their voice is incredibly, you know, um, important to, to whatever is going to happen um, in terms of, of you know, the law or the case or whatever is happening within that community. I th- I see it as a tool that um, that can be used in lawyering. I was in the clinic uh, the community lawyering clinic for years and you know I see it very much a part of coming out of that type of work that needs to be done if attorneys want to lawyer effectively within communities they need to understand, you know, what people are thinking within that community hear what
3: um, is being thought. So I want you to close your eyes and visualize an academic meeting. Okay. And that academic meeting is going to look a little bit like a courtroom, a little bit like the law school classroom in which there are places of power in the front of the room, and places of less power, in the students or or in the in the audience, if you will, mm-hmm. the dialogue circle cannot take place in that space without changing it.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Right? I mean, it, it. You have to subvert that space. You have got to conquer that. design of the spaces in which we work are meant not to have this kind of a dialogue. And so from the beginning we need to think, well, just the format, just the just the physical placement of the bodies is different. Then the content is different, right? That is that that people are going to be allowed to speak as equals think that the values are also different mm-hmm. because I think that the, that, that the dialogue circle begins from a position of humility, mm. that unlike the classroom space, which is a space of competition, it is a space of winners and losers, it is a space of dominance, right? That even those of us that come from outsider communities can engage in that that competition of of oral communication, we can get good at it. Um, meanwhile, the dialogue circle acts, asks you to step back from that. You're not going to do that. You are not going your voice is not going to fill the space. Multiple voices will fill the space. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that punctuates it is silence that
1: some people will choose to hold silence. I uh, I know it's I, I can't even hold silence for that long and I know I yeah, I it's hard with for silence. Could I could we talk a little bit more about listening and talking because it seems like you know, inherent in a dialogue circle is both Um, Whereas maybe, you know, when you're on a panel, you know, who's doing the listening, who's doing the talking is very just um, divided up. So, you know, I think listening is is seen as a passive activity and talking as the active activity, right? So if you have, so if we're in in a meeting and somebody is not speaking, they're seen as being passive, right? So, you know... Keeping in mind the dialogue circle and the talking circle, do you do you agree with this, or or would you or would you say that's just not a, not valuing listening as it
0: should be?
2: Well, listening is is necessary even in an academic space. I mean, you know, you have somebody talking, and you've got to listen to what what's being said um, to gain. I think that the difference between Talking in, you know, the panel setting and, and talking in a circle is that you are hearing many more thoughts. You're hearing many more perspectives. But listening in a talking circle is is really important when you're a participant um, because um, you know it's a, it's a part of the process. You're, you're listening to what is being said. Um, your, your focus is on what is being said in terms of how it relates to, you know, how that whatever has been given to the, to the group to discuss is going to unfold. And so the type of listening that you're doing in that setting is very different from the type of listening that you're going to be doing to, you know, serial speakers. Uh, or, or serial panelists um, presenting on different different topics because you're actively engaged. You know you're 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 listening, and at some point you're going to speak. Um, e- even if you're not within that talking circle and you're just listening, because we also have listening concentric circles outside of the talking circle. I've, I've done that several times. You know you're you're where you're totally listening and you're not going to be speaking at all. Um, you're listening for the connections between the speakers. You're listening for, um, you know, the, 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 the main thought that's coming out that, that, that connects to that, um, to that question that's been laid before that. It's a very different type of listening. Um, and, of course, I think it, it takes a certain amount of patience. Uh, you know, I mentioned I was in a three-day... Um, or is it four days, just over four days um, talking circle? And, and I was surprised at the degree of patience that it took for me to get to the point where um, I was listening in the proper way. You know, listening in the sense of you're not thinking of what you're going to say next, um, thinking not in terms of do I agree or do I disagree with that? Because that's not the point. You know, you're, you know everybody is to speak, um, you know, their thought. And you're to withhold judgment because, you know, at some point you're going to be able to, to speak and say what you have to say. There's a lot that goes on with, with the listening in a circle because you are listening um, to the person um, speaking to, sort of like, suspend your judgment. You know, listening to hear, um, you know, the things that connect to what, what, you know, your, your how you're framing. Um, so it's a very, uh, it's an intense type of listening. But I would also say that, you know, this dichotomy between talking and listening. Um, talking is incredibly important as well. I think that one thing that you learn in a talking circle is that. Is how weighty words are. Um, You know, in a talking circle, um, you know, you come to that with an understanding that words are sacred. Um, You know, you don't waste your words. If you have something to say, you say it carefully and you say it well. Um, If you don't have anything to say, you don't say it. You don't say anything. You don't just talk to talk. In a dialogue circle, it, it does become clear that words matter mm. and how you express and what you express matter. And and that's the difference, I think. That's the difference. Um, there, there, there's a, an emphasis on the importance of words in the talk and in the speech, and there's also an emphasis on the importance of listening and really listening, listening to understand listening to um, to you know hear what is being said um, so so you know it, it, there there's a there's a, there's a difference um, I think um, but talking and listening are you know both equally important in the talking circle you may you know as the individual you may end up doing much more listening Um, But you probably are going to hear much more talk from many more people than you would otherwise in a a regular conference. I think
3: it's an important contrast that that the purpose of the dialogue circle, um, to have um, many voices problematize a particular issue, bring their perspectives, and their ideas, and their analytical approaches to the prompt that is given. Um, that, that, that that method is quite different from the kinds of conversations that we have in the law school classroom, which can be more binary. They're set up as debates, um, and that a, a, a lot of legal discourse Has this feature of having uh, one side responded to by the other side, rather than really rejecting that model and saying complex problems are not two sided,
1: Hmm. and
3: complex problems don't have winners and losers. And this is something that um, goes along with work that I've been doing in medicine, in which we have been. Thinking about what is called cognitive diversity, Uh, putting together teams um, of people who have different cognitive toolboxes. And within that cognitive toolbox is their racial, ethnic identity. That social diversity is part of the way, especially people with strong identities, with an understanding of who they are community narratives and, and really the ability to bring a, a different cognition into the problem solving, and that that makes for better solutions, whether you're talking about medicine or public policy issues or difficult educational issues, that this idea, um, but that has to be matched with the cross-cultural communication skills. And the ability to deal with with conflict, frankly, with people who see things differently. Uh, and by conflict, I don't mean that it need be red hot, but that in fact there are people who are taking different views, and a way of then of then reconciling that and really understanding that that's a positive dimension of the dialogue that has taken place. And one of the other things that we've been doing at the previous Alianza conferences um, has been really thinking about dissent. And at last year's conference, uh, we decided that we would call for dissent. Who disagreed with the way that we had organized the workshop? Who disagreed with what had been said? Um, And I think that we, didn't do it as well as we should have, that it was an important thing, um, but that, that that it is an important dimension of these difficult conversations, not difficult conversations, these complex conversations that we want to have, that in the same way, you sometimes have to notice who hasn't spoken
2: mm-hmm. and
3: and actually give them time to speak. and, and That isn't a feature of the dialogue circle, because the whole idea is that everyone is given the opportunity to speak. Uh, But in other fora, we frequently take what I call the fast hands rather than the slow hands, and really understanding that if we don't ask for disagreeing voices frequently, we won't get the benefits of those who see the problem or the solutions posed differently.
1: Yeah, this conversation is making it really clear to me that, you know, listening and and talking are both skills that need to be developed equally, right? And I think spaces like the law school does do a good job at teaching students how to speak and be advocates, right? Like every situation we're in, is they're constantly demanding that of us, right? With cold calling us in classrooms when you have no idea that you're going to be called on and all of a sudden you're called on and you're kind of whether you're ready or not you're on it's time to talk to oral advocacy right I'm practicing being in front of court and making all these arguments. So I think you know law students in particular are trained on talking a lot but not so much on listening right and and listening to our clients and and the, just the communities that we're serving. so what what are some things that you would you, that are important for the development of listening that you could give uh, as a tool for all of us to to be better participants in every conversation?
2: Well, you have to monitor yourself because oftentimes when, just because you're silent and somebody else is speaking does not mean you're hearing what they're saying. You know, what are you thinking? Are you listening to them or are you deciding what you're going to say in advance against what they're saying? thinking about what you're going to do tomorrow afternoon. Um, you know, it's like really training yourself to stay focused and follow what the person is saying and, you know, understanding. Are you understanding what they are saying? And and so that's why I say that it just takes a tremendous amount of patience. Um, um, the talking circle um, demands patience as well, where somebody says something and you're like, oh, I have something right. Back on that point, and you're way down the line. And by the time it gets to you, you know, um, if you're trying to hang on to that thought, you're not listening to everyone else. It's like it takes an incredible amount of patience to to listen to people, and, and, and you know what is being said. But I think I think that I want to say something about about talking. Um, I, I still say they're 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 equally important. Um, but we think about, we tend to think about talking in a different in a certain way in terms of our law school training. I think that the talking circle is an orderly process of, of hearing what people have to say on a subject. It is people an equal voice in, you know, um, where you're not having to fight for, you know, um, the, 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 the floor, if you will. That in a circle, you're going to get a chance to you know, say what you have to say. I mean, that's often not the case in the classroom, where if you want to say something, you've got to, you've got to get called on, or you know, you've got to be selective to voice um, something. The circle, you know. Doesn't, you know, says that everybody's going to get a chance to talk. We're not going to decide by a show of hands or simply by somebody being aggressive and loud with their voice. Or always the first one, you know, with, hey, I got a thought on that. That you're going to hear from the person who um, is the most eloquent speaker right down to the person who uh, thinks slowly, speaks slowly, has a very low volume. You know, really, it, it doesn't matter, and, and they, that they don't have to feel like they have to fight for that right to speak, um, which can be very important in um, in communities, in certain communities, right, where people aren't trained. Everybody doesn't go to law school and learn how to fight for the chance to speak or aren't told constantly to speak up and you know, speak loudly, and that, that's, you know, that's the way to do it. But, you know, that we can't all listen closer to the... To the lower voice, um, the soft voiced warrior. Um, so you know, I think that I think that we can learn a lot about speech as well as we can about listening from the circle.
3: Let me go back for a moment um, to silence, because I think that certainly within uh, law, school spa- law school spaces silence is considered to be a breakdown in communication, and therefore people who step into the silence are like helping the communication. Rather than thinking of silence as expressive, that that silence is a way of showing respect, when I teach storytelling and story listening, I tell students that one way of showing that we have heard a story, that it has had an impact on us, is to hold silence even for a short, for a moment after the story ends before picking up. That we need that moment to really allow that story to wash over us and to, to really, you know, process it. But it's also I think, a, a manifestation of of reverence, of reverence for the story. And I was reminded of that yesterday. Uh, I didn't know nothing about hip-hop, but yesterday <laughs> I was listening to, to Kendrick Lamar um, because he had talked about his his artistry, and if he has a genius, it's the genius of knowing words and how to rhyme them and repeat them and say them and you know and as a storyteller i was just so taken with what he was describing and i think that that part of of the dialogue circle right is that you're able to to listen to that um uh, it, it, professor Zinny cruz has talked about words as sacred right that, in fact, there's some sacredness, if you will. There's something very, if, if you will, reverential about allowing people to work together, to think together in this space of equality towards some common
1: truth. I, you know, this conversation has, has made me think of gender dynamics in law school environments, which is which is what I'm most familiar with now, although I'm, I'm sure they exist in academia and in different professions as well, in terms of white males taking up a lot of space, right? As the people who do the most talking and sometimes the less listening, the least listening. So do you see as di- dialogue circles as a way to maybe reduce the gender dynamics at play? I mean, you, they can't be completely structured out, I think, because even in whether you're responding to others and how you're responding and the words that you're actually saying, I think will be impacted by gender dynamics. But in terms of giving folks equality of, of speaking and listening, does that help solve the gender dynamics that often plague the rest of society?
2: Well, I think that, you know, if you if you're attentive to that and um, how you set up your circle, you know, so that you've got um, representation, you know, if you're interested in that gender dynamic, yeah, then it's important to have um, women and men maybe equal, equal um, representation around the circle, but, but. The circle really means that everybody who speaks has this equal um, ability to address whatever it is. So, male, female um, voices can be fully heard. Um, you know, all all sorts of representations that you bring can be heard um, in that in that circle. Um, so. So yes, I think that that, you know, that is certainly one way. I think that uh, it's important to, to find spaces where, where you can feel you can feel comfortable in speaking as well. So, uh, you know, I think that that's, that's a part of the dynamic that needs to be created, that, that circles need to build a trust so that, um, you know, you feel comfortable in voicing whatever it is that you need to voice. I think that can be a challenge
3: for circles. Oh, I guess I want to push back a little bit, Cynthia, Mm -hmm. on the the gender question. Because I think that the dynamic is more intersectional.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: Because I think that we steal the voice of sexual minorities. I think that we steal the voice of persons with disabilities. I think that we steal the voice of I think that one of the ways that difference plays out, I think that the way that power hierarchies form is around voice. Um, And so I think it's a dimension of the patriarchy, right? I think it's a dimension of misogyny, but I think it's a dimension of power, Mm
1: -hmm.
3: right? And I think that those who have power have voice. Those who have power get heard. Those who... Even, I think, that when we see in terms of, it's so easy for people who are, you know, s- struggling in hegemony, with hegemony, against hegemony, that it's so it's so easy to lose voice. And I, I think you see it in, you know, whether we're talking about Black Lives Matter, um, the the, the kind of pushback that um, subordinated people experience. And so I think that the dialogue circle can be a corrective to illegitimate power and illegitimate privilege. And that's not to say that it isn't a corrective of misogyny, right? Mm-hmm. That, that in fact, there is a gender dynamic. But I just think that they're, that, that it's more intersectional and more complex.
1: No, I, I completely agree, and I, I appreciate you bringing out those complexities, because I, I agree that they're, they're definitely there. Um, so just to be respectful of your time and kind of wrap up the conversation, I want to go back to academia a bit, and can we... You know, using your imaginations, which is a part of the theme that I I've, of this year's conference that I absolutely love and I always want to encourage everyone to use your imagination in in shaping the goals and that we're working towards and not be limited by, I guess, you know, <laughs> the realities or what we think is possible. So, you know, how do you think academia would change if it was guided by these practices? Like what what do you imagine when you think of that? And what do you hope it would look like?
2: Well, I'm not sure if your question is how would it change um, if people were more attentive to how the power of words or, you know, the listening skill or to doing things differently? <laughs> um, you know, what exactly are you what exactly are you asking in terms of how academy, academia would be different if if we used dialogue as opposed to debate? Or I am not
1: sure. What, what's your question? Well, I'd Are be in- um I'd be interested in hearing you know what however you want to take the question in terms of like because I'm not in academia you know I don't know I'm you know when I think of academia I'm thinking about the publishing articles right I'm thinking about. The committee meetings that professors need to sit on for the institution. I'm thinking of how you teach, prof- how you teach students, and how you participate in conferences. So there's so many aspects to academia. So I'd be, I'd love to hear how you think any one of those would be different, or how it would change, or what you would imagine it would look like.
3: I think if I were the czarina of, of legal education, you know, if if, or or if we had some sort of czar committee, right, with many different people who would come in and say that we were empowered to change legal education. I think it has to begin, you know, I mean, there is so much of it that is determinative of of these um, power hierarchies, right? So from the admissions process to design and architecture to what is valued, I mean, there's just so much that I have found to to impede the kind of work that I would want to do. But I think that if that something like the dialogue circle gives us a model for us to say there is so much that isn't working for us,
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, we have to find spaces where we can where we can actually sit in a circle. So we have to do that. Um, I I think that that we have to say um, we are uh, putting objectivity to a side because what we're really asking for is a subjectivity. Right? Um, We want you to bring your whole person into this dialogue. I mean, it's almost as if though we began setting up a matrix where we say this is traditional legal education and this is What it might be if, in fact, dialogue circles were just one feature of what we want to do.
2: So I think that it's, for me, it's rooted in valuing different knowledge systems. And um, because the the dialogue and the concept of circle really comes out of a an indigenous knowledge system—you know—the value of that, but it has an immense, you know, contribution and importance to um, helping a, 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 a society that is has multiple differences work together, right? Or you know, try to find diplomatic solutions um, to to problems because. Um, and, and its, it's premise sort of like on a democratic, participatory, you know, type of of, um, of interacting. Um, so I I think that uh, I think that that you know there it, it has something to do with you know the respecting of different knowledge systems and and allowing them to have a place within the Structure, not othering them, or you know, saying that they're um, they're less value, they have less value than um, you know than the way that we've always done it, um, the way that, it to, that, that you know that it's been. So um, yeah, that's a hard question because you know, even imagining a different law school is like, it would be very, very different. <laughs> um it's very different and, and you know a part of it is that um, and, and this comes from uh, my work with the indigenous legal tradition and that that the indi- indigenous legal tradition is one of seven major legal traditions in the world and the common law and the civil law legal systems are you know two of the others and, and you know there's there's but there's seven major major legal traditions and how many do there's a common Lawyer and law student in the United States learn. They learn the common law legal tradition pretty much. Um, and there are six other major legal traditions in the world that they know probably next to nothing about. I don't know whether they could name them. That's how little they learn. So, you know, for, for me, you know, I guess just like from a we, we grow more local um, every second. Um, you know, to to not be able to grasp all of the legal traditions that exist in the world, I think, um, is not a good outcome for our for our um, uh, legal education. Uh, you know, I think that we would want to graduate students who have a broader knowledge base than than just knowing one legal tradition, major legal tradition, well.
3: I just want to name the silence that occurred um, before Professor Zuni began answering your question and that the discomfort that it creates in listeners, certainly, you know, when you're listening to a podcast or listening to the radio or other auditory media, but that that it also characterizes legal discourse that to hold silence like that um, is unusual Uh, and yet it very much, I think, punctuates how we speak when we are trying to listen deeply, that there may in fact be those pauses and silences and reticence, you know, that there's a reticence also um, to to speak, um, that there's a, that this is a moment and you want to be careful in your speech. And therefore, um, you know, there's just this, um, that it's different than when we're, as Kendrick Lamar said, conversating.
1: Yeah, uh, thank you so much for everything you just shared, for taking the time to speak with us. I, I mentioned this to Professor Vender and Professor Valdez that here at Stanford Law, we only have one Latinx professor on the faculty and I haven't been able to take a class with her. And so it, for me, it's such a, a breath of life to speak with you and get to see other um, Latinx folks doing, working in academia and you know what that looks like because just being here, I definitely for myself, I have a hard time envisioning what comes after law school, and and so it's just, it's re- absolutely refreshing to speak with you, and I really appreciated having this opportunity to learn from both of you, so thank you so much.
3: Well, I want to thank you, Cynthia and Yvette, um, for creating this opportunity for us to speak. Um, as one of the first Latinas at Harvard and then in the academy, and it just, gives me such pride when I see young women like the two of you and, you know, your facility with technology and and really, you know, creating new pathways and new, new ways of um, having your voices and our voices heard. Me da mucho orgullo. Muchísimo orgullo. Y pues me siento como que ustedes también son parte de mí. Gracias,
1: mil gracias. Muchísimas gracias a ustedes también, luego hablamos,
2: adiós.